0: Hey, what's going on everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you and we hope you enjoy the message today. Can I just say that it's so nice to be back with you Mm -hmm. wonderful people, your family. And it's just good to to see you again. I genuinely mean it when I say I miss you. I genuinely mean it when I say I don't miss the drive. (laughs) That's that's still a long road over there. Nobody has shortened that road, but uh, it's just a joy to be with you today. And I hope that you will open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 5, Pastor Seth has been in a series, Misconceptions, and he asked me if I would take a part of that and just kind of let me kind of let let that whole idea of misconceptions generate in my mind. Um, It's not hard to find uh, a text on on a topic like misconceptions. We're going to be looking at just one, really just one verse, but the verse is located in the context of what's been called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that our Lord preached, and you can read from beginning to end in about 12 minutes. This sermon won't be that short. I'm not the Lord. I can't do miracles. But um, when Jesus was engaged in this crowd, talking to them about so many different things, there is so much that he addresses that really are misconceptions. As a matter of fact, when, when Jesus ends this sermon in chapter 7, this is the response of the people. And so it was when Jesus ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. That word astonished means to be, it's, it's the idea that we would have, it was jaw-dropping. When he, when he was done, people were like, wow, The things that Jesus addressed in there. I mean, if you look at Matthew chapter 5 alone, there are five different times in chapter 5 where Jesus says something like this, You have heard it said, followed by, But I say to you, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, You shall not even look on a woman to lust after her in your heart. And what He did was He just took what was a common idea and And kind of showed, that's a misconception. You've heard it this way, but let me tell you what the truth is, right? And almost that there's so much in these two chapters, or three chapters, five, six, and seven, that Jesus really is addressing what we could call misconceptions. What the general populace of His day believed, Jesus stood it on its ear. He just said, He turned things around so that when He was done, it was almost like their jaws were just gaping could not fathom the depth of what he had just said but it's not new to jesus's era it is it has always been an issue within god's people that they they misunderstand god one of one of the indictments that our lord god brought against his own people israel back in uh in in psalm 50 verse 21 it just says a very simple statement it says you thought that I was all together like you. You, you misunderstand. You've misconceived the whole idea. You thought I was like you. Now, the, the, the fact is, is we have to study the Scriptures or we're going to have a lot of misconceptions about God, about our Lord, about what He's done, about who He is, about what He's like. There are a lot of people today who have a lot of erroneous ideas Misconceptions about the church and about God. Just watch TV. Do you ever see a program where Christianity is represented accurately? Never. Mm -hmm. It's always lampooned or it's it's looked at from the view as very stern, very rigid, nothing freeing about it. It's because the world has just have these misconceptions. Now, when you come to the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount begins with a statement that must have seemed Absolutely strange to the first century Jewish ears. And seeing the multitude, verse one, and seeing the multitude, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he had seated, was seated, all of his disciples, and it's not speaking there of the twelve, but all of his followers, those people who were there, they they came to him, then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and this is the first thing out of his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we call that one of the Beatitudes. There's like eight of them listed, right? One after another. Blessed be, you know, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But we're just going to stay on this one. Now, all of the Beatitudes, if you just read through the first, you know, eight, nine, ten verses, the, the Lord is talking about what we are primarily not not what we have. When our world puts an emphasis on being blessed, it's not the same things that Jesus said bring blessing. And the term that He uses, blessed are the poor in spirit, that term blessed means more than just happiness, but an internal kind of joy. It's not just being happy, because being happy, well it depends on your happenstance right? Yeah, yeah, right are you in good yeah. or are you in bad and you're you're happy or you're not happy based on your circumstance right. but you can be blessed genuine, gen, genuinely joyful in the Lord and he says genuinely happy blessed are those who are poor in spirit and the world would never look at that and go okay that that's that's true and then they go that is absolutely weird they don't think of it that way because the world goes blessed are those who have wealth blessed are those who have strength blessed are those who have power blessed are those who have knowledge blessed are those who have prestige those who are popular those are the happy people you know the big bees the bucks the brains the beauty and the brawn those are the things that people think connect them with happiness with blessedness, a lot of people, listen, folks, you know good and well, a lot of people have all of those things, and they have no semblance of joy in their life whatsoever. That's right. Jesus here is putting the emphasis not primarily on what a man has, but what a man is. Blessed are, and then he goes on to describe character qualities. He will do that through the Beatitudes. We're only going to look at one. And we're going to look at the very first of these, because the very first quality that he mentions are those, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Now, what's he talking about? Well, I suggest to you what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about being a beggar. He's saying, blessed are the beggars. There are several words in the Bible for being poor. One word is a word that just speaks of poverty, poverty. Uh, And and it's used, matter of fact, it's used to describe the widow. I believe it's in Luke chapter 12, who had two mites, uh, just hardly nothing at all. And she puts those in the offering plate. She was poor, but at least she had two coins to put in the offering plate. That's one word for poverty that's found in the New Testament. But the word here, the, the word poor in verse three is a word that means beggar blessed are the beggars. And in other words, a person who has absolutely nothing. It, by the way, is the same word that Luke would use in chapter 16 of his gospel. When Jesus tells the story of Lazarus, the beggar that was at the gate of the rich man's home, the dogs came and licked his sores. He had absolutely nothing. Lazarus was, was completely, totally destitute. That's the word that Jesus chooses to use here. A beggar, a person who's absolutely, totally, devastatingly impoverished. And Jesus called such a one, blessed are the beggars in spirit. Now this is a great misconception because the world wouldn't say that that's the way to be blessed. What are are the blessed beggars? I mean the spiritual beggar, first of all he's bankrupt, right? What does Jesus mean when He says, blessed are the beggars, blessed are the bankrupt? Well, let me tell you something, what He's not saying. Jesus here is not talking about financial poverty, is He? Jesus never said it's a blessing to be financially poor. The Bible never puts a premium on being financially poor. Now, the Bible does teach that we need to be compassionate towards the poor. The the Bible says we need to help the poor, we need to give to the poor when we can Um, it said, the Bible says that many times it's the poor people who are rich in their faith, but never any place does the Bible ever teach that material uh, poverty is as such a blessing. I mean, if Jesus is talking about blessed are the financially bankrupt, then let's face it, folks, our whole job description has just changed because it's our job to make everybody on earth poor and get ourselves poor in the process. If that's what he's talking about, If that were the case, then all of us would need to to divest ourselves of the wealth and help everybody else do the same, because we want you to be blessed, so you need to become financially destitute. Is that what God's saying here? Of course not. That's not at all what He's saying. I mean, Jesus had a lot of friends who were blessed materially. Uh, So He's not talking about financially poor. And we we understand. I don't need to elaborate on that. But also, He's not talking about a person who is poor, Blessed are the poor-spirited. You know people who are poor-spirited. It's not the same as being poor in spirit. Now, if you look up the the term uh, poor-spirited, here are some synonyms that you will find. Cowardly, faint-hearted, fearful, spineless. That's that's a poor-spirited person. A poor-spirited person is that person who's someone who kind of walks around with their shoulders slumped and, And woe is me, poor, pitiful me. I'm not worth anything. I think I'll eat a worm. How many of you guys remember Bad Luck Schlepprock? Anybody raise your hand? I'm not alone. Bad Luck Schlepprock was a when I was a kid was a cartoon character. I believe it was on like a, the Further Adventures of Pebbles and Bam-Bam or something the Flintstones. And his his old his everywhere Bad Luck Schlepprock went. There was a cloud and rain. And and his shoulders were always slamming. Wowsy, wowsy, woo-woo. Remember he used to say that? That's that's somebody who's poor spirited. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus, that's not what our Lord is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about some outward expression going around with a face as long as a saxophone. He's looking like a cruise director on the Titanic. That's not what he's talking about. Think about this. Our our human nature is made up of body, soul, and spirit. With the body, you have physical life. With the soul, you have psychological life. With the spirit, you have spiritual life. With your your body, you know the world that's beneath you. With, With your soul, you know the world that's around you. With your spirit, you can know the world that's above you, the spiritual world. Now, God is spirit, the Bible says in John 4, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. However, before a person can enter into the kingdom of heaven, he must first of all admit that in his spirit, in the realm of the spirit, no matter how much he has materially, he or she is absolutely, totally bankrupt and a beggar before God. You see, folks, if a person doesn't see that, if they don't see that as their condition, they will never get into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If a person doesn't see that, they'll never get into the kingdom of God. Listen, not just that he's spiritually poor, but that he is spiritually a beggar. He's spiritually bankrupt. There's absolutely nothing, right? When you come to Jesus Christ... You don't get to come strutting into His presence. Hey, Lord, you'd be lucky to have me in your kingdom. No, You're you're not getting in like that, right? The very word for beggar, by the way, comes from a root word which means to cringe, to cower, to shrink back. There are no peacocks in heaven, if you know what I'm saying. Jesus is talking about a person who's totally, completely, devastatingly bankrupt to the point of being reduced to being a beggar. He or she comes to God and they must do as the old hymn says that you guys have sang for years, in my hand no price I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That's where it begins. Folks, that's the reason that this character quality is put first in these Beatitudes, and at the front end of the sermon. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus begins His Sermon on the Mount by immediately refuting the misconception of His day that heaven can somehow be gained by doing righteous acts. He first states that the way up into the kingdom is the way down into spiritual bankruptcy. You have to be a beggar in spirit. And I know, I know, people are going to say, yeah, well, Pastor, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as some other people. And I, I, you've heard that. Well, my response to them would be, well, you're not, you're not uh, bankrupt yet. When you have the attitude, I know I'm not perfect, I've got my faults, but on the other hand, there are some pretty good things about me, you're not completely out of you yet. You haven't reached that place because you, you're still leaning upon that well maybe God grades by a curve and there's enough good in my life, I do enough good things, I don't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, go out with girls who do, I'm okay. you know. And God's gonna, if, you're, if that's where you are, you're not there yet. You have never seen yourself through the lens of scripture that says even your righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. In the sight of a righteous and holy God, the best of your good days the most generous you can be, the most loving, the most kind, the most compassionate you can be is like a filthy rag in the sight of God. Because it's your righteousness. It's your goodness that you're depending on to get you there. And you've yet to see yourself through the lens of Scripture that says your righteousness is like this filthy rag. Jesus is going to uh, expose another misconception if you drop down to verse 20. We're not going to elaborate on it, but He says this, I say to you, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that had to have drawn a gasp of air from His his congregation. I have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Because in in the eyes of the people, if there was anybody who was getting in, it was the Pharisees because they paraded an external righteousness like few people could. The scribes and the Pharisees were better outwardly than any man, woman, boy, or girl that was there that day. But Jesus is talking about being a spiritual beggar and his bankruptcy. But something, something else has to happen. You not, not only do you need to acknowledge, I'm bankrupt before God. If I want to get into the kingdom, I, I have to just say, I have nothing to offer. That's bankruptcy. But you can sit there and say that all day. But if, if you don't go the next step and get broken before God, if that doesn't move you, then something still is a mess. You see, brokenness follows bankruptcy. What, what, what is brokenness? Brokenness is the behavior that follows the realization that I'm bankrupt spiritually. Brokenness is that kind of behavior. First, first of all, folks, a man must discover and admit just who he is. Many, many people... You know, have, have really seen this. For, for, here, here's the thing: what people don't realize is most, for most people, their greatest need is to see their need. Their greatest need is to see their need. Because yeah. most people will go, I'm, I know, I see a lot of people settle church on Sunday morning. I, I know them; they go, and then I work with them during the day, and I'm, I'm as good as they are. I mean, a lot of people sit in churches on Sunday morning and they're what one man called their glad rags, heady, haughty, and high-minded, thinking they're doing God a wild favor by being there. Uh, that's not going to get you there. That's, that's not brokenness. There must, that's right. there must come a discovery. A person must see God for who He truly is right. and then understand who they are in relation to His holiness. Right. Exactly. They're <laughs> bankrupt and they need to be broken before God. Mm-hmm. Let me give you some examples. Do you know anything about Simon Peter, he was Jesus' really number one guy. Of all of the apostles that followed Jesus, those 12 men, Peter's the one who speaks the most often. He is the one who's always, in, in all four lists of the 12, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, all four lists, Peter's always at the top. He was obviously closer to the Lord than the other 11. He was a brash individual, often spoke before thinking, right? Engaged his mouth. And most of the time when his mouth was open, it was just simply to exchange feet. <laughs> but he was a take charge kind of guy. <clears throat> he was always given his opinion. But there came a time where he'd been out fishing all night and caught nothing. Him and his other partners in the fishing business. And Jesus got into the boat with them and said, cast your net onto the other side of the boat. Well, Lord, we've been out here all night. We haven't caught a thing. But nevertheless, at your your word, we'll do it. So what did they do? They threw the net over the boat, and within minutes, there were so many fish in the net, it was starting to rip the net. They couldn't pull it out to get their partners over there, their other boats, and drag this thing to shore. When Peter came to the realization of just who was in his presence, Mm -hmm. you know what his response was? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He finally saw his bankruptcy. That's where you have to be, people, before you can get into the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah the prophet, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, man, he's pronouncing one woe after another. Just these thundering woes against sin, woes against this country, woes against this people. God's going to bring judgment on you powerful preacher proclaiming the judgment of God is coming. In chapter 6, it was in the year that king Uzziah died that I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his temple and he was sitting on his throne and his his train filled the entire temple. And you know what Isaiah said then? It wasn't woe is this country or that country. It was woe is me for I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord. You know what happened to him? He became poor in spirit. He suddenly realized in the presence of a holy God who's enthroned, boy, I need to see where I stand in relation to Him. There's another story in the Scriptures, and it says one of those that you read, folks, and you go, wow, that just almost, even for for us, that just seemed almost rude. In Matthew 15, there was a woman of Canaan. Uh, She was Syrophoenician. She's a Gentile. She's pagan. But this woman from Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's acknowledging, she's acknowledging in that phrase alone, you're Israel's Messiah. That was the term son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. And this was where you go, really? But Jesus answered her not a word. You ever been ignored? Yeah. What does that, how does that make you feel when you, you talk to somebody and they just go, walk away? I've had people do that. It makes you angry, it, it hurts your feelings, it makes you feel like, what, what's wrong? You know? Jesus didn't answer a word, but she didn't give up. And His disciples came and they urged Him saying, please just send her away because she, now she's after us. And bad enough she kept bothering you but when you ignored her she comes to us. Send her away for she cries out after us. But He answered and He said, I wasn't sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah. Then she came and she worshiped Him. You see first she acknowledged Him, you're the Messiah. Mm-hmm. She's not given up. you got to love this woman's yeah. tenacity. Yeah. She comes to Him and she worshiped Him, saying, Lord, help me. But He answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Mm -hmm. Ouch. This is our Lord saying this. This is Jesus, right? And she said, Yes, Lord. I love her answer. Mm -hmm. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. See, don't, don't write Jesus off as being rude. You know what Jesus is doing? Getting her to the point, getting her to the place where she needs to be spiritually. And Jesus answered her and said to oh, her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that woman, from that very hour. What, what, what happened to that woman? Her heart began to cry out. And she got her place where she just falls down before him and acknowledges, you're Lord. (laughs) I'm completely and absolutely and totally dependent on you. Great is your faith, woman. But it's the same thing that happened to Simon Peter when he saw the Lord. He got that right perspective. God, me. Same thing happened to Isaiah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me. I'm undone for I'm a man of unclean lips. They became poor in spirit. They became beggars in the sight of a righteous and holy God. And these beggars in the sight of a righteous and holy God got exactly what they wanted. Isn't that great? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones that get the kingdom of God. It's not the proud. It's not the haughty. It's not the reluctant. It's not the nice guys. It's those who are broken, acknowledging their bankruptcy. If there was ever somebody... Who was, if there was ever a man that it must have been hard for him to see himself as bankrupt, it would have been the Apostle Paul. He's the man who wound up writing two thirds of your New Testament. I mean, Paul, if you look at his credentials in Philippians 3 and just study him a little bit, you'll find he had the the right birth. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he was noted among his own peers. He was in the right society because not only was a Hebrew of all Hebrews but he was a Pharisee which was those men who were so regarded, so high and lifted up in the public eye. But he also had some added acronyms. He was a, a Roman citizen. That helped him. He had the best education money could have bought. Paul said that he learned at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. Historians tell us that Gamaliel was the most noted scholar of Paul's day. He was like the professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, noted author, I mean the big gun guy. Paul said, that was where I learned what I've learned. He had his education to back him up. Uh, He was fluent in at least three languages. He was a world traveler. When it came to keeping the Jewish laws, He did it with an exactitude that was absolutely amazing. He said, I had a zeal above all of my contemporaries. Have all of these things on my pedigree. But there came a day where he caught a glimpse of Jesus. And you know what he wound up saying in response to all those things that he had? He said this in Philippians 3, All these things I count that I had counted gain for me, I count them but loss. He said, man, I took them from the asset side of the ledger and I put them on the liability side of the ledger. All these things I was depending upon before Jesus came along, he even uses this word, I count them but in the, the, the equivalent, in the King James he calls it refuse. It's the word for dung, excrement. You want me to use the, fr- no, you don't. You know what I'm, you know what he's saying? It's, it's bodily waste. I, all of the things that I had in my favor, I count them but waste. Dung that I might gain Christ. Spiritually bankrupt. I mean, totally a beggar in the sight of God. Even though he had everything going for him, the education, the, 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 the success and ministry, everything he was doing, you think, wow, this guy's got it going on. But it came to Jesus, All he said, I count that stuff as nothing more than than human waste, excrement. Well, this truth knocks the legs out from underneath the human pride, doesn't it? It just kind of puts us all on the same level. Prince or pauper, we all come to God the same way. There's nobody struts into his presence. Some folks in our society think, you know what? a pretty good guy. Well, yeah, I'm going to tell you this right now. They and the rest of all the pretty good guys are going to go straight to hell unless they themselves, as beggars in the sight of a righteous and holy God, surrender to him. I know that sounds harsh, but that's just the truth, folks. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And when a person discovers this, then he gets a different dependency. You, you, you stop depending on the things that you You do the things that that you own. You don't depend on your natural birth, your your pedigree. uh, I don't care if your parents, your grandparents were Christians. If they were believers in God, that doesn't make you that, right? It's not going to count the day of judgment. God has children, but He has no grandchildren. That makes sense? You don't get in on the coattails of your parents or your grandparents. Just because they love Jesus doesn't mean you're getting in. You may depend on your position in life when you die. You may have a funeral service that has nothing but Cadillacs, Mercedes, BMWs right along with you. But let me tell you something folks, your friends may stand and utilize you, eulogize you and say hear what lies one of the greatest citizens this, this town has ever had. A Man of prestige, a man of influence, but your soul folks will be in hell before the undertaker gets the news that you died if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord' and Savior. I love what old, the old evangelist, Billy, Billy Sunday, he said, he, in one of his sermons, and he was a very bold man, he said, you can't take it with you, and if you could, it would melt where some of you are going. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. What are you depending on today for eternal life, education, knowledge, a link to a family member who knows God? Are you, are you depending on the fact that you're a good, upstanding citizen, that you don't do things illegally that you try to walk with integrity are all those things. Uh, listen folks, you if, if if you're depending on your education, look, nothing nothing wrong with an education. If you got an education, good for you, get more. But if you're depending on that, I like what one man said, I'd rather be in heaven saying my ABCs than in hell spouting philosophy. Pride will be the ultimate downfall of most of humanity when it comes to the day of judgment, folks. You guys know Muhammad Ali, years and years ago, he was the top fighter of his day in the world of boxing. I didn't watch boxing, didn't care for it, didn't care. Every time he got on TV, just the arrogance oozed from him. You you guys know, if you know Muhammad Ali, you know that the man thought he was, he even said, I'm the greatest in the world, right? That was his kind of his thing, you know? He got on an airplane, sat down and a stewardess came and said, fasten your seatbelt. And in his typical way, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She came back, yeah, Superman don't need no airplane. Buckle your (laughs) seatbelt. Right? It doesn't matter what you've gained in life. It doesn't matter who you are or what your abilities are. When a man sees what he is, bankrupt in the sight of God, and then ceases depending upon all those other things that cannot help him, and he turns to God he says, oh God, save me. Save me that's when he enters into the kingdom of God. And Jesus will say, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, or you're not going to even get in the kingdom of God. How how far then does it have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Because when Jesus said that, people are going, nobody's more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. These are the guys that meticulously copy the law of Moses and memorize it word for word. These are the guys that, they're the they're the epitome they thought of of the religious world how could we be better than they well Jesus tells you a little bit later this is how far you have to exceed the righteousness of the preacher let's just use that for our illustrations right this is how much more righteous you have to be than the preacher therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect Anybody here who would stand up and say, I'm as perfect as God? No. None of us. None of us can do that. But that's the standard. That's the standard that God demands. The standard that God demands can only be met, then, through the atoning death of Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. Took your sin on Himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He was made to be sin for us, though He knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him." You see, your, bank, your account before God is, and you have to see it this way, it's bankrupt. All of your goodness, filthy rags, there's no way you can get in on your own. But you know what God does through Jesus Christ when you put your faith and your trust in Him? He fills your bankruptcy account full of His own righteousness. And you know how come I'm getting into Heaven, folks? because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. I depend on the righteousness of Jesus, not the righteousness of Frank. If you follow me around for more than a few minutes, I'll disappoint you. Because I'm not all that righteous. But I am counting on the righteousness of God to get me into heaven someday. And you'll never know that righteousness. You'll never have that perfection that is given through the Lord Jesus Christ until first of all you understand exactly what you are in the sight of a holy and righteous God and that you are a spiritual beggar. You have nothing. The misconception that most folks do is they they measure themselves by some false standard. They, They usually find somebody that they're better than, you know. and Generally it's a hypocrite in the church. Don't you get tired of hearing that? Most of you have heard some people say something like that. You know, I don't want to go to church. There are so many hypocrites in the church. Well, there are some hypocrites. There have always been hypocrites. There's always been hypocrites in the church. One of the 12 apostles was a hypocrite. And he was right there in visible sight of Jesus for three years. Vance Habner, the old evangelist, said, I'd rather go to church with a few hypocrites than spend eternity in hell with all of them. Yeah. You better not lie down in the gutter and stretch yourself out alongside some hypocrite and say, I'm longer than he is. You better measure yourself by the standard of the Almighty. He's the standard. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And some folks will say, well, I'm just as good as those folks down there at that, at that church. They need to start saying they're just as bad as some of the folks down there at that church. Right? Because they are. Listen, all of us, every one of us, are beggars in the sight of a righteous and holy God. I'm not clinging to anything that I have to offer I'm empty. Anything I have is from God. He has given me all things." And folks, the sooner a person discovers that situation and stops depending on the things that they've been depending on, the sooner they will find entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The grand grand misconception of humanity (laughs) is that they will be accepted into heaven because of their own perceived goodness. And that lie has been spoken from the pits of hell for centuries. The blessedness of bankruptcy is, is when a man or woman finally sees themselves as God sees them. And they understand that they're bankrupt spiritually and must totally and completely fall upon the grace of God and His provision of righteousness by putting their faith and their trust In Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross. That's the only way. The Apostle Paul kind of explains it in some in some detail. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why is that? Because they're full of themselves and it's very difficult. But God's chosen the foolish things of the world as Put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory or boast or brag in His presence. And here it is. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus and Jesus became for us wisdom from God righteousness sanctification and redemption he has become for you everything you need is found in Christ Jesus get rid of you paul said i die to myself i die daily for i am crucified with christ nevertheless i yet, yet i not i that live but it's christ who lives in me in the life i now live i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me But he says, Jesus becomes all you need, and why is that? Verse 31, so that he who glories, let him glory in this, glory in the Lord. God gets all the credit for me being in heaven. I'll I'll never be able to strut through the kingdom of heaven when we get there someday going, well, Jesus paid 99%, 1% was on me, I made it anyway. No, that's blasphemy. No, Jesus Christ is all and all, and He's what you need, He's what I need. That is the truth of Scripture. We've got to lay our pride in the dust. If you don't want to be seen as a person who needs God, then your pride will be your downfall. Do you understand that? The most heinous misconception that was ever born in hell is that you can somehow make it into the kingdom of heaven on your own merit. Just be good and kind and giving and God will accept you because you're so sincere in what you do. It's possible to be sincere and be sincerely wrong, right? Blessed are, are the bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is not saying this is the way to misery. When you come into the kingdom you, and you come as a bankrupt in, in spirit, He's not saying that's, a, that's the way to misery. He's saying that's the way to blessedness, joy. Why is it such a blessing? Because it's the only way you can ever get into heaven. Isaiah 57, 15, the high, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. I say it again, folks, there will be no peacocks strutting in heaven. All sin, all sin is rooted in pride. And until that pride is dealt with people are not ready to, will, and they're not ready, they're not willing to receive the Lord Jesus Christ their personal Savior, they are headed for a devil's hell. And I call it a devil's hell because Jesus said in Matthew 5.24 that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell was not created for humanity. Humanity makes the choice to go there. And if you go there you will go there stepping over the top of every Bible message you've ever heard, every prompting of the Spirit to give your life to Christ you've ever heard, and you will go there of your own free will. The reason that this beatitude, I believe, is put first, because it is the foundation of all the other blessings that Jesus is going to talk about in the remainder of this sermon. If you don't have this right, Everything, all the other misconceptions that he addresses don't make any difference at all. It doesn't matter if if you try to abide by the other things he's going to talk about, whether it's prayer, whether it's adultery, whatever else he's going to talk about really doesn't make any difference to you because if you're not in the kingdom of God, you can agree with all the morality that Jesus brings out and still die and go to hell. You have to get this right first. The misconception that you can get into Heaven on your own merit has to be dealt with first because one of the most horrible misconceptions that's been perpetrated by Hell itself, I'll say it again, is that somehow you're going to get into the Kingdom of God because of something you do, or somebody you know, somebody you're connected to, some philanthropic gesture you've made, and you're going to find yourself separated for eternity. All the other things Jesus talks about is not going to make a single bit of difference if you don't get Blessed are those who realize their bankruptcy before God, poor in spirit, and then trust Christ. Until a man lays his pride in the dust, he can't be saved. He can't. Even God cannot fill that which is already full. And if you're full of yourself, you haven't emptied yourself, you're not at the point of bankruptcy, much less brokenness before God. We'll never live spiritually until we admit we are dead. First of all, spiritually. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you say you have no sin and because you say that your sin remains. You say, I'm not all that bad. You can say that until your last dying breath and then you're going to find out just how bad you were and what opportunities you missed. There was a young woman who was just absolutely beautiful, charming, talented, she was gifted, really the talk of the town. Crowds came to see her and she would sit at this piano and just play beautifully. And one night there's a room full of people just being enthralled by not just her physical beauty but the beauty of her voice, the incredible dexterity with which she played the piano. And there was a preacher there that night named Caesar Millen. And when it was over, Caesar Millen approached this young woman and he said to her, you have charm, you have grace, you, you have beauty, you have talent. But if you don't get saved, if you don't see your need to give your heart to Jesus, you're just as lost as the worst harlot in London. She was a little bit taken back by the almost rudeness of what he said. She was shocked by it. But later that night she's in her her bedroom and she's trying to she's trying to laugh it off as one of those surreal things that happen to you she's trying to write it off but she can't sleep and then she writes at 3 a.m gave my heart to jesus christ her name was charlotte elliott and you may not recognize the name but you'll recognize one of the most familiar songs that she's ever written Especially if you've gone to a Billy Graham crusade, because I think he used it at almost every end of every crusade, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. This woman had it all going for her, but thank God for a preacher who said, you can have everything you've got, but unless you repent, you're no better off than the worst harlot in London. And that convicted her heart that night, and she trusted Christ. Folks, that's the way Charlotte Elliott came, and folks, that's the way you'll have to come. That's the way anybody will have to come to faith in Christ. Because none less than Jesus Christ Himself can do the, do the thing for you. Save your soul. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is a misconception that first and foremost must be cleared up. Amen? Now, if you don't have that relationship today with Christ, and that's something that's on your heart, I hope that today before you walk out of this building, you'll say, you know what, I've been at church a lot of years, or maybe this is my first time here, but I don't want to leave without Jesus. And I know now that all the things that I'm counting on to get me in mean absolutely nothing. I need to come with my pockets turned out and show that I'm empty spiritually and I'm broken before God and then He saves those who have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. If you want to do that today, after I pray I'm going to be up here and there will be music playing and folks perhaps walking out and going about their day, but we'll spend some time with you this afternoon if you want to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Thank You, Father, for this time in Your Word, it speaks right to our hearts. And Lord, thank you for the salvation that you give freely in Christ. And I pray, Lord, for that lost man, woman, boy or girl, whoever's in this room today, that they will not leave this place until they have surrendered all and acknowledge their brokenness before you and their bankruptcy and fully and totally trust Christ, His death on the cross, His payment for their sin, and then embrace Him as Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His kingdom's sake, amen.